Welcome to Talking History, a series of talks from Farnham U3A History Group. In this talk, Peter Duffy tells us about the Sick Man of Europe and the Berlin Conference of 1878. Part B. Unlike the Congress of Vienna in 1814-15, that took over a year to map out the settlement of Europe after the Napoleonic Wars, the 1878 Congress of Berlin concluded its work in exactly one month. And this was not solely because of Bismarck's desire to escape the heat of Berlin and to take refuge on his estate. A major reason was that much of the heavy work had already been done and only remained to be ratified by the Congress. Britain had agreed with Turkey that the price of its support against Russia would be Cyprus. There's a whole history that stems from that. Cyprus is a base from which it could observe and control Russia's possible inter intervention in the Straits, Central Asia, and the Suez Canal. Austria-Hungary had agreed with Britain its occupation of Bosnia-Herzegovina. Both countries had agreed to support each other's ambitions at the Congress. These countries also agreed with Russia that a reduced Bulgaria would be split into two, the southern half eventually to be called Rumelia, to remain under full Turkish control, and the northern portion to be autonomous, but within the Turkish Empire. Although the agreements were made beforehand, the full details remained to be thrashed out of the Congress and gave the opportunity for much debate and dissension. So who were the key players of the Congress? And some of them we've already met. For Germany, it was Bismarck. Of his behavior, a later commentator wrote, the other delegates were soon to find that his sweet voice and careful enunciation could not long disguise his determination to speak with the most outrageous bluntness when the acceleration of business made it necessary. And the special target of his bluntness was the Turkish delegation who as junior members of their country's service had constantly to refer to Istanbul in their master, their master there for decisions and instructions. For Russia, it was the aging Gorbachev who had negotiated the 1871 London conference and rolled back of the restrictions on the Russian military presence in the Black Sea. However, for a large part of the conference, he was not well, and most of the detail of the negotiations fell to his junior and rival, Shubalov who had been the ambassador to Britain. It was Shuvalos who said to Andrasi of Austria-Hungary, the San Stefano Pact was the greatest misfortune for us, but not for you. It was the greatest stupidity we could have made. The end of the story is that we are compelled to tear it up under the eyes of Europe. Britain was represented by Israeli, supported by Salisbury, who is a few then Foreign Secretary, but a future Prime Minister, and a member of the Cecil family. You realize that it's basically the Cecil family who've been running England since the 16th century. Britain later said of Israeli, when considering how strongly he negotiated for Britain's interests, even at one stage reportedly ordering his train to be ready for departure if his position was not accepted. The Alta Yuda, das ist ein Mann, the old Jew, he truly is a man. 
Uh, Austria-Hungary was represented by Andrés in Ferdinand's activity. Andrés is this figure in blue here, not quite as frizzy looking as we saw him earlier. He was subjected to huge pressures acting for the monarchy. He was instrumental in negotiating for Austria's gaining of the leading position in Bosnia-Herzegovina. However, from his native Hungary, there is growing resistance from the Magyars to increasing the Slav element in the empire. Now, the French delegate here is Waddington, who also was, a, I think, a future ambassador to Britain. He had a policy that was non-inactive, not inactive but reserved, and generally in support of the British and Austro-Hungarian positions. A later commentator said of his behaviour that it showed that the belief that a lack of agreement amongst factions of the Congress would facilitate the judicious exercise <coughs> of personal influence by which a strengthening of French prestige might be hastened, and so it proved. Now Turkey, see here sent a junior team, Turkey speaking to Salisbury there, they sent a junior team which had constantly to refer to Istanbul for decisions. They were further hampered by the fact that Mehmed Ali, a senior member of their delegation, was a renegade Prussian who had adopted the Muslim faith and entered initially the Turkish army and then the foreign service. Bismarck clearly disliked him. At one point, frustrated by Turkish delays and prevarications, Bismarck advised their delegation that they were greatly mistaken if they imagined that the Congress had met in Turkey's interests. They were not to imagine that anything but disaster could come to Turkey from the breakup of the Congress. War would follow. That's a pretty blunt statement. Now, once the Congress had assembled the organization structure with Bismarck presiding had been decided, thoughts turned to the order of business. Bismarck said of the British position, Austria is not going to war with Russia. Let us therefore deal with the great things that concern England, for England is quite ready to go to war with Russia. At the top of the list for Britain was the maintenance of Turkey as a European power controlling the Straits and thus access to the Mediterranean. And key to that was the question of the greater Bulgaria, stretching from the Black Sea to the Aegean. Before the Congress, Russia had agreed to reduce the size of greater Bulgaria. What remained was to negotiate details. Disraeli and Salisbury from Britain and Andrasi from Austria-Hungary went into closed session with Shuvalov of Russia. And eventually a structure was hammered out, which gave Turkey full control of the southern province of Romania, well, the northern province of Bulgaria was an autonomous unit, but still within the Turkish Empire. The northern and western frontiers of Romania ran along the peaks of Balkan mountain chain, thus making them defensible by Turkey from future attack. The Bulgaria of Berlin was only a third of the size proposed at San Stefano, with the potential access to the Aegean, and this reduction was a huge plus for British diplomacy, and especially for Israeli. Now, Andrasi for Austria-Hungary, supported by Britain, Russia, and Germany, maintained that Turkey needed to concentrate its forces to defend itself in future, and was thus no longer able to maintain security in the outlying provinces of Bosnia-Herzegovina. Austria-Hungary would take on responsibility for the administration and security in those two provinces and in Novi Bazaar. You all did your history lessons, you all learned about Novi Bazaar. Why is it important? It is important because it separates Serbia from Montenegro. It stops 
the creation of a greater Serbia, which could be a threat to Austria-Hungary, that by having this little corridor, Austria-Hungary, through Bosnia-Herzegovina, has access to the rest of the Balkans, should there be any future negotiation with Turkey, Austria-Hungary could lay claim to territory in those lands. By Austria-Hungary gaining control, it opened a corridor for its future expansion into the southwest of the Balkans, and in spite of objections, this was ratified by the Congress. Similarly, the British annexation of Cyprus as a price for its support for Turkey was also ratified by the Congress. The British thus obtained a place d'armes, an armoured base in the eastern Mediterranean, from which it could monitor and control Russian moves into the Mediterranean and through Asia Minor towards the Persian Gulf and against the Suez Canal. Now the British agreed that the Russians, as well as regaining Bessarabia, which had lost following the Crimean War, could retain the port of Batum in the Eastern Black Sea. Now this was seen as a potential jumping off point for Russian expansion into Asia Minor and towards the Persian Gulf. Negotiations between the two exhausted and sick men, Gorbachev for Russia and Disraeli for Britain, meant that the Russians did obtain the port, supposedly to be used for commercial purposes only. The Russians slipped the word essentially into the agreement past Israeli, whose French understanding was poor, and they had replaced the word entirely. Uh, five years later, they had a military presence there. Quite interesting that just a single word can change the complexion so fundamentally. Now, the Sultan retained control of the passage through the Straits, which limited Russian access to the Mediterranean, a key British objective. The Congress agreed that an international commission, including representatives from Austria-Hungary and Romania, should be responsible for navigation on the Lower Danube. Have any of you ever read uh, John Buckland's Green Mantle? I know the press is reading it. No. It, it is fascinating. A great chunk of it describes how German arms were shipped down the Danube to Turkey to support it in its war against Russia, its First World War. Uh, it's a fascinating story, but I saw it as a continuation of this particular period. Now, to summarize, the results of the Congress were disastrous <coughs> for the Ottomans. Turkey lost Bessarabia and the provinces of Kars, Adhan, and Batum in Anatolia. To Russia. It lost any claims to Romania or Serbia or Montenegro, which became completely independent. Bosnia and Herzegovina were to be Austro-Hungarian protectorates, Cyprus to Britain, and had to pay a reduced indemnity to Russia. The payment of this and other foreign debts was to be supervised by an international debt commission. At, at least Bulgaria remained under Turkish nominal suzerainty, and most importantly for the Britain, the Sultan still maintained control of the states, denied passage to unfriendly warships. Now these are the short-term results of the Congress, but how did the relationships between the great powers play out in the longer term? Now, firstly, it should be noted that it largely settled Balkan affairs for 30 years until the outbreak of the first Balkan War in 1910, when the Slav states, Bulgaria, Serbia, Montenegro, plus Greece, ganged up together to attack Turkey but it also led to a fundamental restructuring of the relationships between the great European powers. Immediately after the Congress, Andrassy proposed to Bismarck that Germany and Austria-Hungary 
should sign an alliance whereby each would support the other in case either went to war with Russia. In accepting this, it was an extraordinary move on Bismarck's part and broke the long-standing agreement between Russia and Germany. To get the German emperor to agree, Bismarck had to threaten not only his own resignation, but that of all his cabinet. The old emperor said with great foresight, the proposed treaty will inevitably drive Russia into the arms of France. As soon as the proposed treaty becomes known, France and Russia cannot fail to unite. The possibility of a war between Austria-Hungary and Russia was very high, lucky to be started over some event in the Balkans where the two countries had totally opposing objectives. Bismarck had to go from saying that the whole Ottoman Empire was not worth the bones of one Pomeranian grenadier to admitting that one day the great European war would come out of some damn fool thing in the Balkans. And it did. Designed also to keep Austria apart from France for a revenge attack on Germany, this dual alliance bound Germany hand and foot to the preservation of Austria, as Bismarck himself admitted to Disraeli. Russia came out of the Congress totally disappointed by the outcome. After the military victory over the Turks and the expenditure of so many lives, material and money, the Treaty of San Stefano had apparently produced outstanding gains for Russia. These were apparently stripped away at Berlin and the Russians blamed Bismarck and Germany. Russia had held the reign while Prussia had attacked Austria and France and had expected similar support from Germany in Russia's dealing with Turkey. In spite of Bismarck's efforts to revive the Dreikaiserbund, the alliance between Germany, Austria and Russia, the latter began to drift away from its old ally. France, always eager for revenge on Germany, picked up on this and gradually these two countries formed a defensive alliance. By 1887, the German general staff was planning a two-front war against France and Russia. Already the configuration of the players in the First World War was becoming apparent. Now the position of Britain in all this remained uncertain. With the obtaining of Cyprus, the necessity of having a forward base to monitor Russians' activities in the Straits, Asia Minor, and towards the Suez Canal was met. The need for Britain to act as Turkey's protector was diminished. Salisbury said of post-Berlin Turkey, we shall set up a rickety sort of rule against south of the Balkans, but it's a mere respite. There's no vitality left in them. The security of the canal from Russian interference was further resolved by Britain occupying Alexandretta in 1882 and later by the total occupation of Egypt. It was not until the problems revealed by the Boer War that Britain's <coughs> policy of splendid isolation came into question. Historically, Britain had been a country whose enemies had been France in Europe and Russia outside, and whose allies had usually been the German states, including the Habsburg Empire. It took the genius of Kaiser Wilhelm II and his drive to build a fleet to rival Britain's to force Britain into the embrace of France and Russia against Germany. The Sultan too felt let down by the Congress. He blamed Britain as Turkey's so-called protector and what he saw as the alliance of Austria-Hungary and Russia determined to strip his country. So in Turkey a process of reform was begun. At the heart of this lay an appeal to the common feature of most of the European territories apart from Bulgaria. 
the territories that were left to Turkey were largely Muslim. Abdul Hamid began to wrap himself in his role as caliph. As the descendant from the Prophet Muhammad, he founded schools and mosques and built the railway from Istanbul to Medina and Mecca, ostensibly to enhance pilgrims, but also for military purposes to control the Arab provinces, as Lawrence of Arabia discovered. Because the International Commission cut out the tax farmers, the country's finances recovered and international debt was paid off. As Britain lost interest in being Turkey's protector, Abdul Hamid pivoted towards the military power in Europe, Germany. This was marked by visits of the Kaiser Wilhelm II to Turkey in 1889 and 1898, and the building of the Berlin Baghdad Railway. However, the major Turkish reform was with the army, where a range of senior officers were, were employed to upgrade its material, structure, and training. Their work was not completed by 1910 in the Balkan War, but proved effective in the First World War, with Turkey joined on the side of the Central Powers, stopping the Allies at Gallipoli and eventually Russia in the Northern Campaign. To paraphrase a, hit, a recent historian of the Congress, it could be argued that the years that followed San Stefano and the Berlin Congress were of greater importance for the history of Europe and the Near East than those that preceded them. What was not dealt with by the Congress, by the great powers of the Congress, as the later Balkan Wars and the First World War proved, was that the various nationalist ambitions of the smaller Balkan states, Bulgaria, Greece, Romania, Montenegro, and Serbia, which were hardly considered the Congress, remained a tinderbox, and one which, as Bismarck foresaw, had the capability of setting the world of the great powers ablaze. The views expressed by the speaker are not necessarily the same as those held by the team at the Mr. T Podcast Studio. This podcast is produced by the Mr. T Podcast Studio in association with the Farnham U3A Group.